So hello and welcome to Something Who episode 43. I'm talking again with Chris Chapman, a man of many talents, but among them is putting together these fantastic documentaries for the Doctor Who Blu-ray collections. The last time we talked, Chris, it was it was pretty much at the start of the pandemic, some sometime in, in March last year. And I, th- I mean, I guess at that point, the, the impact was being felt in the UK. So I suppose as, as some degree of normality starts to resume, how have you fared? How, how, how's it been for you? It's been busy, Richard. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I've been, I, I think, you know, I've certainly personally been quite lucky. I've seen a lot of people in my industry have, have a very difficult time. And, yeah. and I hope that changes, uh, is certainly starting to change very quickly. But I've personally had a very busy lockdown and kind of went from cancelling Doctor Who shoots that I was all ready to shoot to being employed on Country File for a year, doing Doctor Who in the background, running out to Aldbourne when I could, grabbing Frank Skinner when I could, and going and filming in a restaurant in December at about the only week that I could possibly get Sylvester McCoy to sit at a table with Bonnie Langford and Sophie Aldrin. So it, it, it's been kind of non-stop in quite a pleasing way. And I kind of, I wouldn't have liked to have seen what my lockdown would have been like without that. I think if I'd been unable to work, it would have probably been quite quite a dark time, as I'm sure it has been for lots of people. Uh, yeah. So no, it's been it's been okay. And we're gradually shifting back to normal in terms of filming. I think it's just made us all very conscious, particularly on the Who range, of, yeah. of, of how precious the people we film with are. Nobody wants to be the person that goes and... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. kills Fraser Hines or, yeah. or kind of or wipes out uh, Sylvester McCoy or something like that, you know. So it makes us very. We're, we're always trying to avoid that, even in <laughs> in, in in peace times. But it, it's yeah. made us acutely aware of how fragile and precious the people that we work with are. Definitely. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I definitely got the impression that that you were busy from from your Twitter feed, and uh, I mean, it, it, similar story for me, really, in that I mean, I've got a very different line of work. At a, at a broadcast transmission company uh, and sort of IT really, but but nonetheless very very busy. But yeah, it, it seems to to have been like that. I mean, people seem to have either been flat out or you know had nothing to do, and, and and I think it's been a very unequal kind of experience as a result. But yeah, I'm glad glad to, glad to hear that you managed to keep going. And of course, now award-winning. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, you may well have won other awards, but the Doctor Who uh, Cookbook Revisited, winning the award last summer, I think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, that was a, a delicious surprise, really, because I've entered Doctor Who docs for uh, Royal Television Society Awards before when I lived up in the Northeast, and and we never got anywhere really because I think ultimately <laughs> the joy of these things is they're made for such a niche audience. We kind of revel in that, but you show that to a not we, and they kind of go, "What is this? What is, what is this supposed to be? Why haven't you yeah. made this for a general audience?" and and yeah. so normally we got nowhere. And then I'd moved to Bristol and, and put in uh, the Doctor Who cookbook for the for the RTS West, which is a big, big kind of region of the RTS uh, up against a lot of big broadcast things. And cookbook one, weirdly against Countryfile that I was working with at the time, I'd, I'd come back from a Countryfile shoot into the car park of our post-production house. And the manager of that post-production house was on the RTS board yeah. and came out and gave me that award in the car park as I was giving them the rushes <laughs> from that day's filming on the farm. And then had to keep secret about it for about three months because they were dropping it as a live stream, well, as a recorded streamed award thing virtually. Yeah. But no, it was lovely. And and we've just done, uh, we've just had duplicate awards through for 
Colin and Nicola and and Janet and Toby and Great. Sarah and Fraser, you know, and and I've sent out duplicate cookbook aprons that say RTS award win. So we've milked it, Richard, for all yeah. it's worth, uh, as a chance to say thank you, as well as a chance to say yeah. this is this probably, even though I've entered stuff next year, it may not happen again because I'm, I'm conscious that cookbook is kind of if you were not a doctor who fan you would watch it and it would have the special novelty of what the fuck is this you know what what is what is this in a way that if i enter like the fury from the deep documentary i'm really proud of that film and it and i think it's got great production values and really stands up but you're still thinking like why should i if you're not we you're thinking why should i care about the story they haven't even got clips from it it's just like audio and pictures and what's Mm. going on i think cookbook just hit a sweet spot of of being generally entertaining and we were quite lucky with the timing of that so no it was, that, that was a real high point actually of last year it really was yeah well i mean I'm, I'm absolutely of the view that you should you should milk stuff when you get the chance you you definitely want to celebrate success yeah so and I, i'm really pleased because because i thought that was a a standout i mean not that i don't love all of your films chris but i i did think that that had a particular heart to it so, so I think, I mean, as, as, a, as a basis for our discussion today, I've heard you talk extensively about how you've filmed the documentaries. And, and you know, of course, that's always interesting. But I, I thought it might be interesting to talk about the storytelling simplistically, because I, I don't do what you do. I imagine that there's, there's, a, there's a couple of elements to that, which are sort of thinking about it beforehand, thinking about you know, what story you want to tell. I suppose, well, and then I guess on the day, there's making sure you've got the stuff that you wanted in order to be able to tell the story. But then probably the, the most difficult part of it afterwards, sifting through all that material, throwing away loads of really good stuff, but getting, I guess, to the heart of the story that you wanted to tell uh, afterwards. So maybe a, a quick discussion about that, and then we might get into the specifics of some of the films that you made. Sure, yeah. No, I'm very happy to. I was saying to you before we started uh, that... It's so easy to go to the anecdotes of filming days because just like classic Doctor Who, those are the bits I focus in on and I want to know about filming at Dover Castle because there's something about being on location that crystallises memories and that you're more likely to have come up against barriers or tricky things or, or had unexpected things happen. But actually, you know, the real authoring, if you like, of the film is kind of before and after that point you know this yeah. is the is the scripting and then and then the editing and I, I I'm preparing a few films at the moment where I, you're at that stage early on of thinking right what do I have and that it's it's such a crucial bit where particularly with the doctor who's you're so disciplined you're so limited not in a bad way but limited by how was this story filmed in the first place you know was it on location was it in the studio who was in it? Are they alive? Are they happy to be involved? Do they live in this yeah. country? Oh no, we can't travel because of a pandemic, you know. And you kind of you ultimately you start with a shopping list. You start with a sense of right, if I'm gonna do this film, I need I've I've got access to this, 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 and this. I want to avoid at all costs just taking these people into a blank studio and just making them a talking head. I want to try and and give it some reality of some description. I yeah. want to kind of zhuzh it up a bit into something that feels like a, a special story, but I don't want to go too far. If I if I invent too much, if I create too much at that level, it starts to feel fake for the people involved. It starts to lose its reality and the whole thing collapses. So something like Cookbook is probably right on the edge of, <laughs> of, of reality because it is a very yeah. entertainment-y format, but at least you've, you're grounded in the fact 
this is actually your kitchen and this is actually a recipe you submitted and yeah. there must be a story behind why you submitted it in the first place but you can go too far with that thing and, and see films collapse i'm trying to think if we've had that happen i think there was certainly a couple where i've overextended myself uh, but mostly it's better to hone in on the people and what they might want to say and and then as you say the that moment in post-production when you're bringing through the edit when you're sifting through the stuff it's probably my favorite bit actually i, I don't believe in i'm not a great believer in transcripts you know a lot of people when they film they pay people or sometimes use programs online to transcribe the interview so you can look uh -huh. at it on paper you can look at the words and i try and avoid doing that because i think the words are only half the story that that, yeah. that it's about it's about how a person a person could say so that was no that was no good or something and and they could say so that was no good in a, in a million different ways and so yeah. you want to actually watch the thing and and so i will something like our Sarah jane for season 14 yeah. we interviewed about 12 13 people all for about 40 minutes each and yeah. i will just put all of that on an avid timeline uh, so I've got like a, a 13 hour cut yeah. uh, and then and then I will literally go through it and yeah. chop it up and if there's something that's obviously no good out if there's if I'm left with the 20 minutes worth of chunks from somebody's interview I'll then structure those chronologically because you may not have spoken chronologically necessarily and I'll start to then add them to the whole of everybody else's chunks you know so you start arranging these little blocks of speech on a timeline clustered into chapters and then trying to make them work so that they're witty and they kind of counterpoint each other and they and they have a dialogue with each other and that's probably my favorite bit you know where you mm. think you know and maybe it's a frustrating bit because you suddenly go oh shit the sound on that is rubbish or why did i yeah. why didn't i ask him that but it's but it's the bit when you when you you've got all the words suddenly and now you're arranging words into a a story on you know on, on screen so that's my favorite bit yeah yeah I mean I, I've got a very small insight into that because I guess when I when I edit these podcasts and it's so much easier to do it in audio you know I can take out a little chunk here and a little chunk there I mean of course never to tell a different story from what was actually spoken but just I guess maybe to speed something up or, 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 to, or to make it better in the telling and sometimes you can move something for, you know, f to a different place in, in the conversation because it makes more sense to have all that material together rather than to, to try and bring the listener back further down the line. So, But, but yeah, uh, when you've got something like you're describing there, it, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, I guess talking about, about the, the um, Sarah Jane documentary, I, so I watched that yesterday again. I mean, I, I watched it when it first came out, but I wanted to have another, another go at it. And it, it, it's, I find it very interesting because... I mean, there were there were things about that film that hit me quite hard the first time round. I, I guess, you, you know, you, you've got all the stuff at the end about about you know how her dying affected the young audience so much, and that, you know that that was a and, and David Tennant uh, quite a, a, a emotional at times in there. But but this time round, and it, and it, it's it's a very personal thing. I mean, I have recently had to say goodbye to to a close work colleague, and then uh, Tom was doing the same thing talking about about his relationship with Liz and to some extent I mean you know clearly he was emotional about the fact that she was no longer around but that moment that moment when when they when they were no longer working it, there was a, there's a lovely line you put in at the start where he just says you give up fun very reluctantly you know it, 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 it that spoke to me really clearly 
yeah, about even though it is just work, I mean, it is just a job, but nonetheless, you do c- connect with people in the course of work, and it, and it and it and it does mean something. And you know that when the work comes to an end, it's never quite going to be the same again. And I, I, I thought you you just captured that, you know, both the happiness and the regret in the same moment, so so beautifully. Thank you. Well, no, thank you. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that came over. Yeah, it, it's. I think we we were very lucky with with Tom and 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 I can't really you know it, the lovely thing about these films is they kind of exist as a as a piece of living matter and uh, you know I I don't script Tom you know we we purely we went and filmed with Tom in his favorite pub uh, in the back room that he prefers to film with and and I and all we could really do was create a nice relaxed atmosphere for for Tom really you know was was I had a, a set of questions and. Uh, I had a chat with Lewis with me and a, and a makeup artist, and basically we we were just very nice to Tom. We just had a lovely time with Tom, and and we didn't. I, I think it's important not to jazz things up as being too melodramatic or important when you sit down with a person in that situation. Yeah. You want it just yeah. to be like, okay, Tom, what do you what do you have to say? And and I'll ask Tom questions, but really, a lot of that power just comes from what Tom brought to the table on the day. Uh, I think we got him just at a really good moment, uh, and I've interviewed Tom before, and he and he's been great before. But there's something about Liz that kind of really unlocks his yeah. heart, really. You know that he 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 genuinely loved her and continues to love her. And you'll talk to other companion actors who will say, "Oh yeah, he really had a you know he really loved Liz, then he really had had a real soft spot for her." And 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 yeah. I think to quite a profound level. And as Tom gets older. And I'm sure, as he always has, deals with his own mortality kind of face on. I think he, I think he is a, a an emotional, heartfelt kind of guy when you strip that away. And and maybe he got tougher skin as he went through the role of Doctor Who as he went through those seven years. Yeah. But early on, Liz was the kind of first happy face he saw. You know, Liz was you know, and and yeah. the Doctor talks about that, doesn't he? Is that with? Uh, is that Matt Smith? Is that is that like a, an, an Amy thing that that he talks about? Yours was the first the first happy face, you know, the first smile that I saw. That that, that it's almost like Liz imprinted mm. on him, and he he never forgot that. So I think we we were very lucky, and I and I tried not to talk too much. I tried to you know to steer Tom and to provoke him and 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 really just give him chapter headings and say, okay, now let's talk about turning the lights on in Blackpool, you know, and mm. now let's talk about Liz's. Her, her kind of farewell party and 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 things like that party that they had at the Hilton. I don't I don't think he's really talked particularly about no. before, but he just needs that nudge to go. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. And 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 suddenly you've accessed. Uh, as for all of us, you know, you need a nudge to access those memories. And and I and I like those films because it's not like a making of where you're obligated to tell this happened yeah. and this happened and this happened. And inevitably that means you have to go down some well-trod roads. I think with, with a character study, you can kind of come at it in the way that, that, that feels right because you're never going to say everything. You can never say, yeah. you could say everything you that could ever be needed to be said about Fury from the Deep, but you can't say everything ever that needed to be said about Liz Sladen because any life no. is, is too big. So you, you can be more subjective. You can be more, twisty turning and and I think with all of with that film certainly it was a, a big case of kind of working out who we could speak to yeah. and and almost making a list at the beginning of the, I wouldn't script a film like that but I would write down the chapter headings and say mm-hmm. obviously if we're going to tell the story we need to how do we tell the story of Liz as a child how do we tell 
teenage Liz in Liverpool. Yep. Can we use Coronation Street clips to tell? No, we can't afford that. Okay, we can afford a photo. Okay, we skip Coronation Street. Okay, now she's joining Doctor Who. Oh, wow. Okay, we've got loads of people to talk about that. Okay, so who who can give me... Let's talk to George Galaccio because maybe he can give us a more ground-level view of a friend rather than yes. automatically going for the showbiz co-stars. And then how do we talk about Liz after Doctor Who and and how do we talk about oh she's come back in 2006 oh loads of people can talk about that and it's kind of feast or famine there are kind of areas where you think I could blow my budget and my filming days on loads of people to talk about Doctor Who but I don't need loads of people to talk about Doctor Who I need three people maybe to talk about (laughs) about 70s Doctor Who and so I, I, I want Tom I want Philip Hinchcliffe. I want. Uh, I was really interested, actually. I hadn't initially thought of having Louise Jameson involved because I thought, well, you 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 came after, so yeah. did you work? With, but obviously, particularly someone like Louise, who's very emotionally savvy yeah. and intelligent, has been around the convention circuit, so can suddenly give you a perspective on Liz in those yeah. years, and also that that baton passing of yes. of Liz leaving and Louise coming in. And that sense of an absence that Tom seems to have articulated by being quite quite mean and beastly to Louise and those when they initially worked together because of the absence of Liz, I think because he not because he in any way disliked Louise. I genuinely don't think yes. he did. He may have disliked the ethos of the character, uh, but more than anything, he missed Liz. <laughs> he, you know, he'd just been almost dumped, you know, by his platonic life partner, and yeah. and then you suddenly realise where your gaps are. You suddenly think, okay, if we're going to do Liz's childhood, I can't have a single person talking about this for 15 minutes. It is almost impossible to start your film with a single voice that takes you through an extended section without it feeling just a bit a bit dry or just just not 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 full of life enough. And and so it became a big thing of the involvement of Liz's family and and Sadie and Brian. I yeah. I, I met with and 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 Brian. I think. Uh, is is just by his nature quite a reserved, quite a shy guy, and was very supportive. But kind of said, "I don't think I can do this," and I think that was just a very personal decision for him. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, amazingly, Sadie very much was no, I can't, I can do this, and yeah. I want to help. And gave us this wonderful interview that kind of did everything you would hope yeah. for her to do, and and meant that because kind of if those two people say no. You kind of need to cancel the film. Yeah, I think yeah. if, certainly if those two people say we want, we don't want this to happen. You kind of have to cancel the film. <laughs> I, yeah. I do think, unless you're dealing with some kind of already contentious or political public figure, you know, if you were making a film about Boris Johnson, you wouldn't, you wouldn't care what Boris Johnson thought about it or his family <laughs> if he died, particularly. But if you were making a heartfelt love letter, <laughs> yeah. and the and the family don't want you to make it, then uh, you're 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 done. Really, <laughs> that, that that's the end. So, so it was. It was saying, okay, we've got Sadie for this bit. Let's and through the family, we were able to contact kind of old friends of Liz's from that time, and get them involved. And and you you piece it together until you've got a filming day. Until you've got, in this case, I think we did it over like about six or so days, where it would be me and an assistant would travel to usually the homes of those people, at, or or somewhere nearby, and and we'd film with them with an eye direct, so where we put like a sideways uh, periscope in front of the camera so that they're looking, physically looking at the camera, 
straight yeah. down the lens, meeting the eye of the viewer. But actually what they're seeing in the camera is my eyes, is my face reflected from a sideways mirror. Okay. <laughs> so so because if you set up somebody yes. in front of a camera and they're just looking at the lens you can't make an emotional connection unless you're an amazing presenter who gets paid lots of money to do that so you need a human connection to be able to yeah. to to speak honestly the problem is when i watch it now after the pandemic all i can bloody think of is zoom calls that that, that whole <laughs> that whole style of i direct which as you know has come through for me has come through like channel 4 documentaries and so on now feels a bit odd because we're just so used to seeing somebody looking straight down the camera lens. And somebody said on a forum recently, oh, was this film during the pandemic? Have they filmed this film? No, 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 we were doing it artistically. Ah! And, and so the world has changed in, in that way. Uh, I'm rambling now, Richard, but, uh, but, but no, it, it was a really lovely project to, yeah. to piece together. And most like the John Nathan Turner one, that where it was, we had a lot of words that I was then you know, shaping into a narrative. And with with all these films, I kind of feel the most important thing for me is to tell the story as if you don't know the ending. So to tell the yeah. story in the now without any pre-knowledge. And when I think of like the documentaries that I've loved in recent years, you know, even going back to things like Senna and more recently, there was an amazing film about the Challenger disaster on Netflix that, that did a really good job of... of you know, it gave you a bit at the beginning, just like we do, to say, here's the thing that you know about, hey! And then it goes back to zero, and it yeah. tells you the story step by step, not messing about with it, not jumping around, but just saying, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. And we lose that chronology sometimes when you look back on a thing. When you think about, like, the pandemic, or you think about yeah. somebody's career or your own life, you lose a sense of... Oh yeah, that was happening at the same time as that. Oh, and that happened oh, the day yes. before that. And then, oh, so that contributed. That was part of. You lose all that, and and we we're so keen sometimes to be miniature Quentin Tarantinos and jump around and be start with the ending and then go back and mm -hmm. all this. Yeah, I think sometimes there's a real power to saying this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And with Liz, you've got this perfect story of somebody who gets big, you know, becomes a a, a genuinely loved star. And then loses it, and and through no fault of her own, but gets typecast, gets stuck, and gets in the doldrums. I I think, and 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 then comes back. You know, the, yeah. the, most of those stories end quite sadly. But with Liz, yes. you had a story where, you know, you've got this beautiful arc where she she does get a happy ending, and obviously, ultimately, we lose her far too soon. But I think there's something. I don't think it's like the John Nathan Turner story where the first half is up. And the second half is down, quite, yeah. quite, um, quite powerfully, strikingly. So I think with Liz, yeah. it's, I think it does end. I think the second half of the film is an up. Her death is almost like this bittersweet frustration because you're 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 so sad to lose a friend, you're so upset to lose a friend, but you're so glad that she had what she had in those last, yeah. I guess those last kind of five five ten years or yeah. so. You know, she had such. Uh, for somebody who was, I think, quite insecure and not really aware of her worth or how good she was, I think to get this absolutely winning endorsement to say, yeah. no, you're wrong, the universe loves you, uh, yeah. I think is so powerful. Yeah, Obviously, I, I, we'd, ra we'd, we'd rather still have her, but I think it's an amazing story to get to tell.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was saying to someone the other, the other day that it, it's it's such a shame sometimes that you don't say the thing that you want to say until somebody dies, you know, if if, if it's if it's a eulogy. But but I guess, I guess with Liz, people were able to say those things while she was still alive as a result of her turning back up in school reunion and then getting her own series. So she did get to see all of that love, you know, played out uh, beforehand. So 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 that was excellent. I think the other thing that, that I particularly liked about your film was the uh, Alan Akebourne angle and sort of getting to see how uh, you know th- that whole kind of stage acting side of her because I think a lot of the of the potted sort of biographical bits I'd seen about her kind of just focused on the TV stuff and kind of left out all of that and yet you can sort of see that that was that was such a, a big foundation of, of, of what she did later. Yeah and I'm a complete I'm a complete tart for that kind of thing really because I, I kind of you, you read her, her book her memoir and you think oh I didn't know she worked with Alan Akebourne. I wonder if Alan Akebourne would do our film. That would be amazing. So you think, first of all, that this is somebody you would not expect to see on a Doctor Who doc. No. I know Alan Akebourne will not be famous to everybody, but to a lot of people, he, he is, he's, a, yeah. he's a massive figure and, and an incredibly influential chap. And the idea that Liz, that for both of them, it was the beginning. You know, it was the mm. beginning of their careers. And I thought, well, that's going to be memorable times. That's not just going to be a job for Alan that's going to be formative and unfortunately Alan has a very good archive and a, an archivist who works with him and so they had loads of photos that's often mm. the tricky thing with theatre that's often why theatre can be difficult to explore yeah. in this kind of film because you can't go to a clip yeah you can't even go to an audio recording like you would on a radio play or something you you only have photos and maybe you don't have photos and if you don't have photos you're kind of if you have no archive if you have nothing to cut away to unless you have loads of interviewees you're kind of screwed and yeah and so we were just very lucky to be able to do that and then chart her theater through through Liverpool and Manchester and fortunately they had lots of photos as well and i think i i loved seeing her on those photos of her on stage yeah at at the at the library theater i think where she just is is I guess, in her early twenties, and you you kind of feel like you're seeing just another angle on the Liz that you remember as mm. a child. So no, I'm, I, I and there's a freshness to that that I I kind of hope every time we take the Doctor Who fan to somewhere that's related to what they love, but something yeah. they haven't seen before, that that's always a win. You know, that's always a, a success. So yeah. we I wanted to make sure it wasn't kind of autistically, not in a bad way, but but kind of obsessively. Doctor Who, you know, it had to yes. be prepared to go to other places. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a real strength of the of the film because, you know, it, it, it's good to to see the Doctor Who, but it's good to see it in context and un- understand what part it played in the whole story. I think, and 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 you do that, you do that excellently. Okay, I mean, maybe we might move on to the Who's Doctor Who revisited film. So that's, I mean, that, that that's that's also. I suppose it tells the story of a number of different people. So rather than one person, you get you, you're getting the, the 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 story of you know perhaps half a dozen, ten people told through through a film sort of then and and, and now. And uh, you know again for, for for those people you feature often quite briefly, it's startling to see you know how well they remember it and and how how big an impact it made on their lives. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we really enjoyed making Who's Doctor Who revisited. It was done very quickly, is the funny thing about it. I was looking back at my notes, and, and actually I think it was quite a late commission. I think we suddenly realised there was a gap on the set. And I, I can't remember if we'd been trying to make, make a different type of film or what, but I think a combination of me and, and Toby Hader and Richard Bignall were kind of saying, oh, 
who's Doctor Who's going to be on this set, isn't it? It's going to be on fourteen. Have, has anybody ever done something about that? You know, and and I, I that significance of it being the first documentary, I, I kind of like this on a self indulgent level. I like the idea of making a documentary about a documentary and kind of shining a light on <laughs> on, yeah. on on the seventies process, which is so different as well. But then you look at the film and you're like, oh, this is great because. There are so many kids in this. There are so many mm. 70s kids, people like Casper and Rosemary and the kids of Smallwood School who ju- are just jumping out of the screen in almost like a seven-up kind of way. And you think, well, surely if Doctor Who turned up at your school, if a crew, if a crew turns up at your school when you're seven and asks you, you for your thoughts and then puts you on the telly, you're going to remember that. You know, that's a significant moment. Uh, for everybody involved, and 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 I'd never seen those people tracked down, and that was the trickiest bit. Or that was the tracking down because okay, so Casper, Casper Hewitt, really easy. Casper Hewitt, you put that into Google in in, in speech marks, comes up straight yeah. away because he's he's a professor at a university, or he's a doctor, sorry, at a university, and he also I think does I think he does like his own podcast, and you know, right. so so he's there immediately. You go, oh, there's Casper. He's he lives in Newcastle, and oh, and there's his email. Oh, I should say, but you know, he's easy to contact, and hasn't changed his name, as is men tend to be easier to track down yeah. because their names typically will remain the same. Casper's very happy to be involved. There we go. The only tricky thing is filming in Newcastle because we <laughs> wanted to be on location rather than get them all in a studio. We wanted to go to them and into their worlds. Mm-hmm. The tricky ones on that were finding Rosemary and finding the yeah. Smallwood school kids. And with Rosemary, it was really hard because obviously we, we didn't know that she died. You know, yeah. we, we you know that wasn't general knowledge, general information. We knew that her name was Rosemary Matthews. Matthews is, is a very common surname. That's not yeah. going to help us particularly. She presumably, maybe, would have been married, so would have had a new name. How on earth do we find her? And we... We searched and searched and, and all the normal things I would do, you know, going through, Richard will look through the electoral roll. We will, I, I would just Google the hell out of it because I genuinely believe everybody's on the internet somewhere, you know, Facebook, social media, everything we could. The BBC obviously kept no contacts for that kind of participation. It was very fleeting. Yeah. And ultimately, Richard Bignall, who's, who's always been such a stalwart for us, came back to me and said, I don't think we can find it. I think the trail is dead. And I had one more look thinking that we're not going to find a a female name. I, what did I do? I I Googled for uh, her father's name, which again was quite, I can't remember her father's first name, but uh, for for kind of so-and-so Matthews in quote marks, and which came up with nothing because it was such a broad name. But when I put that with Rosemary as a second search term, it took me to a Just Giving page. And I thought, what's what's this? Why has it brought me here? And it was a lady called Sarah. I can't remember Sarah's surname, but it was a lady called Sarah who was raising money. And further down the page was a comment from somebody who shared the name of Rosemary's dad saying, I've made my donation, kiss, kiss, kiss. And I saw that, oh, this is a Sarah who's who says she's running a marathon in memory of her sister, Rosemary. And I thought, this is... Somebody with a name, same name as the dad, general name, but same name, with a daughter called Sarah and another daughter called Rosemary, shit, who who seems to have, have died at some point. But that felt like a too big a coincidence not to be connected. So I, uh, the Just Giving page allowed me to, to send a message 
to it, the person running it to Sarah, who came back and said, "Yeah, I'm I'm so I I was born Sarah Matthews. Rosemary Matthews was my sister. She died in her in her early twenties." And then you should. I mean, partly you're ecstatic to have solved the mystery, and then you're yeah. gutted, obviously, to hear of a tragedy, yeah. and then you're also thinking, "How on earth do I make it feel gentle and and right?" To, for these people to be involved in a in a documentary and, and I went and met yeah. with Sarah and her mum Liz who of course does the Ice Warrior impression in yeah. the original film and they could have easily said no because for them it's a you know Rosemary had been it was one of those awful sad stories where she'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness from very young in her life so I yeah. think I think I think when they made Who's Doctor Who they would have known about it and she lived to early 20s always under the shadow of you're not going to be around forever, and I and I think that's a very raw that remains a very raw thing for the family, yeah. but but they 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 wanted to be involved and they wanted to pay tribute and I hope we gave them a nice, yeah, a nice way of of doing that. They were certainly very, very very generous and sweet about the film about our film when when I showed it to them uh, before yeah. before it was released. You know, I wanted to make sure they were happy, and and so that was really that that was a real hunt with a very sad ending it was it was more positive obviously with smallwood kids who i purely yeah. stalked through facebook actually with all of the smallwood kids the trick was that karen scott nadal who is so uh, so so kind of chirpy and full of life in the original film she had kept her name and is a very unusual name was on facebook and through her we managed to track down the two other lads who did it and, yes. and actually i think one of them I think I think I I did just stalk them on Facebook and just message them <laughs> until they replied. But I'm so glad that they did and that we got those yeah. three. And those were the only three we could. There were a few people we found who, for whatever reason, were like no, I don't want to do it. And but actually, I was so glad that we got those three. And originally, I thought let's get ten of them or so. But actually, just having the three means you could really zoom in on them. Yes. And yes. And uh, and Toby kind of said to me the other day, he said if you were going to get three, these are the three that I'd want. You know, I'd, I'd want the, the lad. Who is like I don't watch Doctor Who. I watch it with nothing, nothing else on. And and you'd want Karen, and yes. and, and 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 the other chappy with his squeaky voice and everything. I think is is lovely. So there was so much detective work involved in that film, and then it actually then in the, in the edit kind of comes together quite smoothly because we we haven't filmed thirteen hours of stuff. We've gone out on location with limited time, filmed it over four days. And yeah. I've scripted it in the sense that I need to know the order of the film in order to write kind of rough presentary bits for Toby to kind of get us from A to B and not have to do everything in voiceover. Now, Toby, I'll write something and then Toby will take it and make it his own and then, and then say it. And But then all the chats are completely off the cuff. Or just We would set up three cameras. So we've got a pair of close-ups and a wide so we don't need to do like loads of retakes. We can just let things, if something spontaneous happens, you've got it. You don't need to say, oh, Toby, can you look surprised again? Or can you look sad? Can you look sad again? <laughs> or anything awful like that. Yeah. You, you've got it. So so actually a film like that came together very, I remember it being quite smooth in the edit and just more of a case of how long do we want this to be? And is this in the right order structurally? And I think pretty much we stayed to where we wanted to be. You kind of fill in a film like that. Casper was our our leveler, you know. Our kind of you, you kind of in every film like that, you need a, an interview or a sequence that feels like 
which is the bit that kind of sums up what you are. And it's, it's not saying it's vanilla, but it's saying, you know, this is this is the most normal thing in your film that you will then deviate from in different directions. And Casper was this lovely, joyous, exactly what you would want to see in this kind of film when you hear you're going to be interviewing kids. So it's not a tragedy. It's not a weird, unexpected twist. It's just... Yeah here's my amazing memory of being a kid and being in this film. So you want to get to that as soon as you can. And then, because you, you can't start with Rosemary, you know, you can't you can't start with something awful. You have to kind of, you have to emotionally, structure is not just about organising your content in a logical way. It's about the emotions and leading you, you, leading you through that emotional up and down, that emotional terrain, you know, so that you're not, if you throw too incredibly sad things at a viewer one after yeah. the other then they're not both going to register you have to you have to give it peaks and troughs and so ultimately i think it was a joyous film i think it was one where we were taking a leaf out of michael apted's book and that the power of confronting somebody with a clip of them themselves as a 10 year old i think is is still an incredible gift that, that cinema that film can give yeah and i hope well, i hope it's a very joyous film i hope yeah. Yeah. I, see. I mean, I think the one of the pa- powers of that is that I mean, the, the, so so most of your most of the children, I guess, in that film are a very a similar generation to me. So it's seventy seven. So I suppose uh, uh, I was nine then. So probably similar age to them, maybe a little older. And I, I guess you know, but so so when you're filming them again, they they kind of know who they are. They've you know, by the time you're in your fifties, you've kind of got a sense of, of of what your life is going to be. And 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 I guess con- confronting then at that stage with someone who's much you know more full of possibilities and seeing that on the screen that that is i guess quite poignant and as you say not not necessarily sad because you have sort of great things that you that, that, that happen in your, in your life as you know as, as well as sad things but but yeah you you can sort of see it back with some perspective which perhaps you don't get if you're sort of viewing it again after 5 10 or 15 years so, 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 I think that's very interesting. I was just going to say, I, th- I think there's a an aspect as well of it as as a time capsule that that you have to think these are people, you know. So certainly the Smallwood kids would it was just like a, a working class area of London. They they had no access to cameras. You know, the, the, yeah. there was no sense of of home movie or you know. The, now I'll be filming my daughter, kind of my my two year old, every day in some form. Yes. So she yeah. she she'll be swimming through archive when she's my age. But for those smallwood kids, it's genuinely a piece of magic that a record exists of them at that at that age, and and I think they all realised how 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 special that was, how how lucky that was that that happened. Yeah, yeah, and and I think also for t- Tony Cash and his team, I mean, I I don't suppose there have been too many people coming back to them and saying, "Tell us all about that lively arts film you made about Rachmaninoff or whatever." So 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 I guess it's you know quite interesting for for them to come together and, and remember remember what uh, their life was like too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we loved we loved Tony, and and he was very supportive of the film. I think I think he'd been asked about it once or twice, and it, it was that sense of why do people keep asking me about this? As you say, this, this Doctor <laughs> Who film. When I made documentaries about high art, and and often often that kind of series like the Lively Arts was quite highbrow, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Doctor Who, but I think Tony believed in pop culture in a kind of Sidney Newman kind of way in a. Uh, sort of that he he kind of thought well if this is a big deal if this show is this popular that mm. that that's interesting and there must be a reason why it is this popular particularly with this age group what does that tell us about people rather than just oh wouldn't it be nice to know how they make doctor who 
and and Tony and his team. You know, we were actually supposed to have have uh, Melvin Bragg was oh, going, yeah. going to join us at one point for that reunion. I was kind of a little wary about the Melvin side in a way because I just I I knew that viewers would kind of think, oh yeah, so so it's going to be all about Melvin Bragg, and you think, well, actually. Melvin Melvin did very little on Who's Doctor Who. You know, he was there for that for that half day of links in front of the TARDIS, and he narrates yeah. it, so he feels involved. But it wasn't Melvin's story to tell. It was it was Tony who was the yes. storyteller. The you know you know Melvin was really the face of that. But at one point we were going to have Melvin join them uh, in that cafe by Television Centre, and uh, just a scheduling thing in the end meant that he couldn't join us. But you know, I think. I, I'm happy that people seem to watch the film and not go, where's Melvin Bragg? That they just <laughs> watch it and go, this is interesting. And, and we were obviously very, very, very sad that it was only about three or four months after after we filmed that, that, that we lost Tony Cash, you know, and, and Tony had been, obviously, you know, in his 80s, an older chap, but had been so full of life and stories with us. Yeah. And, and genuinely, I think when he meet, meets the Smallwood kids and they kind of pay tribute to him, and he talks about it being uh, balm to his ears, you know, you know, to to hear this. I think he, I think he really meant that. I think that he he mm. found it quite a moving experience. And I, unfortunately, I, I I suspect he didn't see our film before he he passed. I mean, obviously that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But I I I sent him the link, um, right, and never heard back. And I didn't I didn't particularly push on that because I thought you know so, sometimes people take a while. Or maybe he didn't like it or something. But I, I, I always, with that kind of contributor, I will send them the film before yes. we lock it. Just out of me wanting to show them a nice thing, really. And I didn't hear back from Tony. And then things got quite busy and I didn't think any more of it. And then heard that he'd, he'd died. And obviously we made sure that his widow received a copy of the box set. Mm. Which, which again is nothing in the grand scheme of things. But... You know, I, I'm just really glad that we got to talk to him about it and have him in the film because yes. it, it was it was his baby in the first place. And I think without him, the whole thing collapses a bit. So I think it was a tribute to really a different time of making films and, 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 and the way that he made it. And it did remind me, I've, I've just been watching the 7-Up series on BritBox yeah. for the first time. And, it, and I'd had this kind of understanding of what seven up was through osmosis you know as we all do yes. you kind of you grow up hearing about this but i think tony was taking inspiration from things like that and making a proper documentary a proper you know something about those 70s documentaries mm. made on film that it, and you see it in in the up series that when they flash back to the 60s or 70s it feels more exciting than when you flash back to kind of video and to to crappy video in the early 90s or something there's something really special about the way that documentary looked in the 70s particularly yeah uh, we we used to love that on like when we do documentaries about havoc that they had that amazing dying for a living documentary that with them naked in the sauna and and, and you think this is perfect this is this is what memories look like they look like <laughs> slightly low quality 70s uh film material yeah. so so no we love we loved making that one and actually we put we put that film in for the same RTS thing that who, the cookbook won. Right. Uh, who knows? You know, I have no yes. idea whether it will register. You know, <laughs> in any way with with the judges. But you know, but we're very proud of the film, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, I mean, I guess yeah, you know, if if it had been made in the in the nineties, if Doctor Who had still been a thing then, I guess it would have been a lot of celebrities making ironic comments about it. But you know, whereas instead, what you actually got was was a lovely thing of 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 the kids that it's actually aimed at talking about how they feel about it. So so you it, there's a there's it's a much more 
it's much more immediate and you get more of an emotional connection i think it reminded me a bit of the thing the the that wonderful 90s article in doctor who magazine the class class of 5b or whatever it was that they when they right. when they had the, they they got school kids to watch terror of the zygons and then the tv movie uh-huh. and and it's it never fails it's such a powerful yeah. thing to get kids involved and i'd much rather hear what they had to say as you say yeah. than than supposed celebrity fans or yeah. as we did on the after party, you know, getting One Direction to to, to pipe in and say what they really. Thought. I don't care what One Direction. I'd love to have known what kind of a ten year old, what what an, a seven year old in their front room thought yeah. more than One Direction. Never mind. Sure. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, I, so perhaps to talk about Terence and me. It's hard to imagine. I think a, a a person in in the whole kind of Doctor Who sphere who who, who was more greatly loved, I guess, than, than Terence. I mean, I, I know. When 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 we heard that he'd died, we we on the same day we made a, a special version of this podcast just because we kind of felt like we, we we couldn't let the thing pass without saying something, and you know it, it was just a few words, but it was it was the same kind of thing I suppose that that, that you would you would you know the, the the target books, the stories that you wrote, but but just his his kind of both the humility and that nobody really had a bad word to say about him. But again, you know what you've done with your with your film here. Well, a couple of things. It's the whole story, and and I, and I think again, I hadn't I hadn't seen the whole story of of Terence in one place before, and you've given us another kind of bittersweet moment with with Frank Skinner at the start, where he met Terence. He did have the chance to tell him how much he appreciated him, but he also missed the opportunity to to sit down in his front room and have, have a chat. It, 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 it was a nice little you know start to the film to think about when we do have opportunities, we should take them. Yeah, and that, that's something I believe very strongly that you know, if you love someone, then tell him, tell them that you love them. You know, don't 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 yes. leave that too late because we will all die at some point. Yes. The sooner we accept our own mortality and think, well, I, I should probably do that before I die. It's it's a good <laughs> thing, and and I'm obsessed. Yeah, you know, I'm very more. I'm a kind of heart heartfelt, morbid person, and so I'm obsessed with death. And uh, but I think there's a joy that comes from death. That sounds awful, but I think there's a joy that comes from realizing that time is fleeting and that you should make the most of it and also a joy from looking back on memories of people that you've lost there is a joy there despite the sadness and we were just yeah. very lucky on that film because I, I'd you know worked with Terence a lot before I'd interviewed him a lot like half a dozen different times for the DVDs and, yeah. and I always, always loved spending time with Terence you know the, those cliches about him just being very uh, lugubrious easygoing likable there were never kind of airs and graces about Terence it was always uh, I'd always look forward to those interviews because I'd think oh this would be lovely and he would he would look at me as a young Doctor Who fan with this slightly kind of knowing bemusement at kind of oh you're still you're still interested in me then are you still you're still <laughs> you know, he would always have a little he'd never be arrogant or egotistical about it he would it would be a wryness to mm. how Terence would imagine his 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 fame and I just thought I didn't want to do a talking head version of this you know like we had with JNT and with Liz because I thought it's not that kind of life it's not Terence's life is not about ups and downs is not about the mm. uh, the arc of his life it's not a story like that to tell mm. in the same way that Liz and JNT had definite you know this is yes. a, this is an epic of a life Terence didn't have that kind of life and that's no that's no <laughs> kind of that's that's no ill to Terence but he 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 didn't mm. he he rose slowly in his chosen field, succeeded in his chosen field, continued, retired, had nice stomach conventions, 
and then died. And and there's, I don't think there's a real core tragedy or moment of change to Terence. So you kind of think, well, it's not about a story of a life so much as about what did he mean to people? You know, what did yes. you know? What what did this person mean? What is the impact of their of their legacy of their footprint? And so I thought can't do talking heads to tell that kind of story or it just becomes just noise just like everybody saying he was great for an hour and then it yes, ends you're like ah yes. oh, it's too much so if we do it in the kind of same kind of way that we did who's doctor who where it's a presenter and where and it's very sequential you know it's very cha- chapter based so we are going to this place to talk to this person about this aspect of terence's life it will not be intercut with other people talking about other bits of his life, it will be a let's put turn the microscope on Terence at the start of his Doctor Who writing career, or Terence as a student at university. Let's zoom in on that and tell his story in that way, and, and that that takes the pressure off you having to tell every min, every minute of the journey. It means you can kind of you can cherry pick topics and yeah. areas that you're interested in. It also means well, I kind of looked at that and thought. I, I do want to hear from his family, you know, from his university friends, you know, Crispin Letts, Barry's son. I want him to tell me about their yes. friendship. But are we missing a trick here? Because that relationship with, with fandom, that relationship with his readers and his mm. viewers, felt like it was core to Terence in a way that even beyond, you know, Liz and the many, many fans that Liz had, it felt like. I would have felt a bit weird if I just got a random Doctor Who fan, even a famous fan. To, to, to be in the Liz documentary and tell me how wonderful Liz was, unless they were like David Tennant and they were a fan who'd become a, a colleague yeah. and you could give both perspectives. But I thought with, with Terence and me, the idea of getting like a round table of fans and having that as the spine of the film that we could cut back to, yes. to kind of give us like the intro to a particular area of Terence's life and then the presenter could go into that area and explore mm-hmm. and play in that area. That, that all felt quite natural and and I was really pleased that that worked because there were a few, there were one or two dissenting voices that that said, "Are you, are you sure you want to cut back and forth?" And I was like, "No, no, it, 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 I promise this will work." In the same way, I love Asian provocateur, the the Ramesh Ranganathan series, where they yeah. he will be in like Sri Lanka or somewhere, and they'll be cutting back to him with his mum on the sofa, in on the outskirts of London or wherever. That they, they'll and and the, and the, that doesn't take you out of the moment. It just frames the moment in a different way. So I loved all that. And and then just me thinking, we haven't done a tribute film with Toby before. You know, we've, we've kind of used Toby for the Revisited series and the Looking For stuff. And I don't know if it feels right. Maybe it feels a bit easy to, to make it a Toby film for a tribute as well. And thought, actually, I've seen Frank Skinner at these BFI events. I've never met Frank personally, but I've seen him there. I know that he's yeah. a fan. I think this is his era. He seems to love like the Pertwee era. So I think he's a proper fan. I'll give it a go. We don't have the money to offer Frank. This is probably the, the, the lowest paid job Frank has taken in the last 30 years. But you go in and you say, look, we, we don't have much money, but we can do this in, I think we did it in three days. Yeah, we did it in three days. So the whole film, everything is shot in three days with Frank. And you kind of, you're relying on are you a big enough fan, Frank? And fortunately, Frank came back and said, not only am I a big enough fan, but I've got this great story for you. Because I didn't know this, that he said, that, you know, right. I, I live I live over the road from Terence's 
family and I always wanted to knock on the door I was like oh my god this is this is, the, this is a, a gift you have you not only have you said yes but you've got this amazing personal story and somebody said I saw a couple of mostly people have been lovely about the film which is great I saw one or two people saying oh I wish it was Toby and, and I love Toby and, yeah. and I will continue and Frank loves Toby I know and I will continue to work with Toby but I was watching I was reading that thinking how on earth could you turn turn down that that not only was Frank awesome, yeah, but it, it makes a point about how loved Terence was. If you get a genuine big TV name making that film, that says something in itself about Terence's legacy. And you've got a personal story. You know, it really meant something to to Frank to sit down with Elsa and yeah. say, "I really wish I'd come over ten years ago." You know, he, mm. that that's not that's not me feeding a line. That's genuine, heartfelt stuff. And and so. We were. It came together very nicely. The only problem being that the pandemic shifted it back like eight months or so from when it was due to be made. But no, I, th- I think it's a. It, what I like is it's a different type of film to the Liz tribute or the JNT tribute, and it's yeah. an approach I'd take again in the future if there were figures that that weren't necessarily talking head type figures, or where if somebody had maybe been documented in that way already elsewhere on television you think i don't want to just repeat that film that approach i want to do it in a different way yeah i think i think the, the other thing that, that that frank's character i mean obviously i don't i don't know him either but but the thing that comes across very much in you know when you when you hear him and see him is, is that he's you know it's not so much about him you know he's telling the story he's, he's quite happy to sit in the background and tell the story of terence and not have to be the star on the screen and i think that that helps very much with the telling of the story yeah, I think he judged it just right, and and you, and I think it gave it the lightness that it needed when it needed it. But just yeah. like Toby, I think Frank's a very emotionally intelligent man who knows when to listen, you know, and, and knows yeah. when to tread carefully, and and also knows his stuff. I I, I thought to myself, am I gonna? It sounds awful, but am I gonna need to give him like a a clipboard or you know? I know when we did Who Peter with Gethin Jones, Gethin, great presenter, you know, was really good for us, but needed a clipboard of of my script really as as most people would <laughs> when they're parachuting into this kind of shoot in order to keep on top of the facts and where it's going and frank didn't need that you know frank knew if i give him the parameters and say right we're here to speak to katie manning about this point in doctor who history is like okay got it off we go so yeah. it was a joy like that and very easy to work with and and i i quite like the idea of peppering those kind of films in in the future where you know, you. I don't. I don't know if for Frank that was a one-off. You know, I don't know if there was an element of he really wanted to do a Doctor Who special feature. He really loved that idea of being on, on one of those. But I don't know if there's an element for him which was it was on the bucket list, and now he, he's done it and he got to do it to a figure he loves genuinely. Yeah. I don't know if he'd do another one, and so I'm part of me is like maybe, you know, would. I don't know. Would would Stephen Fry? Would Matt Lucas? You know, would would certain figures do a Doctor Who doc if it was just a kind of a three days on a subject that you're passionate about? I like that idea of mixing up the range and surprising people like that. And it's testament really to probably hopefully the kind of goodwill that we've built up of people going. Actually, these things are these things are all right. You know, these things are interesting. Hmm. Did you know about um, Terence's lair that, that that you went into his office? I mean, it, I, 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 a terrible pun here, but I just thought it was the absolute Quinn Terence of him. It, all, all that kind of all that stuff—it's uh, just just amazing. 
Yeah, I I'd been to one of the first things I did on the Tetsum was I I had to meet the family. And again, if if Elsa yes. and the boys had said no, I don't think we would have made the film, or we would have waited until the time was right. Because don't forget, it, there's quite a, I think we I met with Elsa within a year of Terence dying. Right. I think it would yeah. have been like eleven, maybe twelve months on from Terence's yeah. death. So that's very raw, even for someone who lived a good long life. It's very raw. Still, yeah. and they were very, you know, they were vulnerable still at that point. And I met with them in a cafe uh, near Terence's house, and we were all a bit nervous with each other, and, but they were very happy to to help. And then I went back for a second meeting with them, and that was at the house. And then Elsa, Elsa was a very generous, giving, kind lady, and she asked me if I'd like to see the office upstairs. And of course I said, you know, I said yes. And and I was just, I just thought immediately, just like Frank having that connection in real life, I thought this is, a, this is a gift, you know, this is a, I'm so sad, I'm sad that we've lost this person, obviously, but I'm so glad, I was so glad that Elsa hadn't, hadn't immediately cleaned out the room or yeah. emptied it. And, and I thought this, this has to be, if not the end, then certainly towards the end of the film. And originally I would have had Elsa taking Frank up into that room, mm. you know, because obviously the trick there is, I know that scene is coming, but I don't tell Frank anything about it. I say, right. you know, so Frank know, and this is what I do with Toby as well, that you construct these kind of bubbles around your presenter. So of course, Frank knows he's going to Terence's house that day. He's probably thought about what he'd like to talk to the family about. He knows, you know, that, that there's an office and we're going to pop out yeah. of it, but that's it. And I haven't shown him any photos I haven't told him anything about the contents, and what you see on screen is genuinely is 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 a one take, you know, is yeah. is is not us mucking about and doing it seven times or whatever, and is a genuine reaction, and and it was really important that we captured that and let Frank just explore that room, and actually things like I mean this is this is a failing on my part, but it doesn't matter that up on the notice board that wonderful message that Terence had written to himself about how to be a writer basically about kind of get up in the morning write straight away then do this i hadn't spotted because there's so much in that room to spot i hadn't spotted yeah. and frank walks in reacts to the room and then goes oh what's this and immediately <laughs> finds the most perfect <laughs> encapsulation of Terence in the entire room and so it was a lovely thing to film because actually we we frank was only in that room for a few minutes uh, and then, and then we went and did something else, and I went went back and got lots of close ups of things. So we were just very lucky with that. And I do think I know I know the family are talking to various bits of the BBC, but I hope somebody does a proper archive of that room because I think there are treasures there that I want yeah. to see in one of those Star Wars or Thunderbirds like like kind of cutaway diagrams. You know, that that, 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 that kind of <laughs> yes. has, has lines that point to each thing to say that's what this yeah. is. That's what this is. I'll tell you what we, what we need is uh, is uh, Gavin Rymel to do a three D model of it. Well, so, exactly. uh, you know, uh, and, and feature it in in, in uh, Doctor Who Monthly or something. Yeah, for posterity, it needs to be <laughs> it needs to be recorded. And we can only scratch the surface of that really in in this type of film. But uh, yeah. it was it was lovely, and I think uh, I think originally. It was going to be not quite at the end of the film, and then when we watched it in the edit, we were like, "This is this is the ending." You know, this is, and it's nice to come back to the table of writers one final short time for a sign off from Frank. You know, but emotionally, you can't come back from that scene. You know, you, your your structure is finished at that at that point, really. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, I'm conscious of the fact that I can't keep you talking forever. So, and we should talk about the direct route definitely because that's uh, another another great film, and 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 you know another one of your poignant moments because you know clearly for 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 Timothy Coombe it's 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 fantastic to go back to a place where he enjoyed making Doctor Who and 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 the one that he you know that he made there is is for me anyway it's one of the greats I, I, I really love the mind of evil i think it's i think it's a, a you know a really top story but also rather painful for him because you know he loved making it and then he was denied the chance to make more afterwards uh, and and I, I i i love the the way in the film that that um that, that graham harper and 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 uh, michael bright get behind him and sort of say you know it it's sort of it's okay you know you you, you really did do a great thing there and you know you know don't don't feel so badly about it. I, I don't know. It, 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 was a, it was a lovely dynamic between them. Yeah, I really liked him. Uh, I mean, I I, I, I I love all three of the chaps, but I'd filmed yeah. with Tim before when we did the, the, the military mind, the mind of evil making of. And we, we'd yeah. taken him to Dover for that, but it was a more talking heady kind of film, quite an early one for us. And I'd always thought Tim is very charismatic, kind of likeable chap. As, but there's a lot of pathos to his story you know he genuinely I think wears his heart on his sleeve a bit and he was really gutted that he didn't get to come back and I do think it's a disservice because those two that he does Silurians and Mind of Evil are directed have really beautifully directed and have a kind of reality to them that Mm. the show could have done with from time to time you know after after that point I would have loved to have seen Barry keep him on longer or even if he'd stayed on and done stuff with Hinchcliffe, I think he would have fitted in very well with Tom and Hinchcliffe, and you know, yeah. to, to see to see what Dougie Camfield was achieving under under Tom in Zygons and Seeds of Doom, yes. Tim would have yeah. fitted right into that kind of ethos completely. So, you know, with, with Derek Root, I, I guess I was conscious I didn't want to repeat too much what we'd done in Military Mind, but it felt natural to start the film at Dover Castle. I didn't want to be limited by the order of the stories in the season I wanted to a we needed to think about the practicality of yes. how on earth do we get from this point to this point so starting yeah. at the radio telescope on the, on the farm from Autons didn't make an awful lot of sense it didn't feel as iconic really you know as mm-hmm. Autons has lots of locations and it was harder for us to go where should we go for that with Dover Castle it felt like you wanted to access that and Tim's story first of all and I think it was very genuine we, we, we were intending for Tim to stay with us throughout the, th- the three days. I mean, that, that genuinely was a three-day shoot and yeah. was crazy shoot. You know, we we, yeah. were, we started and everybody travelled to Dover on the Thursday night and then on the Friday we shot at Dover Castle and then drove to Dungeness, yeah. shot at Dungeness. And then on the Saturday we drove from Dungeness. Oh, actually, no. After Dungeness we drove half the journey to Cornwall right. and then slept halfway in like a motorway hotel. And then the next morning drove the rest of the way because that's an insane journey from oh, yeah. from Dungeness yeah. to Cornwall is insane. Yeah, yeah. My, my my dad did it once. I, I I don't know what he was thinking about, but I mean, I, I live in Hampshire, and he 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 went to to Cornwall, and then and then on to Kent, and he stopped with me overnight. And uh, I said, what, "What were you thinking about? What were you thinking about? I mean, Cornwall to Kent, but but yeah, I, I, I guess you know, you look on the map and it doesn't look too bad, but the roads are just appalling." Oh, it, it took a while, and then on the last day, we were we were back at kind of at, at uh, the radio telescope, and then and then Oldbourne, and I really yeah. wanted to finish the film at Oldbourne. You know, just felt like a pint outside of the the cloven hoof is where you want to end up. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. But with Tim, you know, he you know he's the oldest of the three. And he, he'd contacted me beforehand to say, 
Whew, sounds like a that schedule is a bit <laughs> a, a lot, isn't it? There's a lot. And so he he put the warning very very politely out there to say, I don't know if I can do all this. And and we'd obviously reassured as much as we could. You know, I was thinking I wanted to keep the filming itself fairly gentle. But there's a lot of travelling. There's a lot of sit- mm-hmm. sitting in the back of a black cab. And what happened was at the end of the first day in Dungeness, I could just see that Tim was tired. And, and I thought, I know what's going to happen. I think Tim is going to come up to me after we wrap in Dungeness and say, I think, I think you'll have to go on without me. I thought this is, this is the moment today is heading towards. And so I thought, so, so I, I took Tim to one side and said, it's been a busy day, hasn't it? It's been a really busy day. You've been great, obviously. But do you think we should leave you here, essentially? Do you think, because it would be much better for me to know now so we can film your goodbye as part of the Dungeness scene. Yes. The, the, yeah. the awful thing, for, you know, purely from a ruthless filmmaking point of view, <laughs> the awful thing would be if suddenly you finish Dungeness and then they're in the cab the next day and Tim's disappeared. And yes. they're having to say, oh, it's such a shame that Tim didn't come on with us, you know, and they're, ha- they're having to drop the exposition. And we weren't, yes. I didn't want to use voiceover, so it's harder as well. Yeah. And fortunately, uh, I think absolutely for the best, Tim said, you know, if I had a really good day, we did Dover Castle. Dungeness has been really interesting. Colony and Space is in the quarry so these lads can take it on. And I think the scene when he says goodbye to them at, at the fish shack is really touching because it, it, that yeah. is genuinely what happened. And and I and I don't think we'd pre warned Graham and Michael particularly about it. I think it's I think it's genuinely just him mm. coming straight from the conversation that the two of us had had and signing off. And I think that moment when they kind of toast him with a bit of crab is really lovely. And 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 having said that, I think I I don't think it's a problem that he leaves because it kind of we've got so much good out of him on that in that yeah. first two the first two segments of the film and. I do think he would have struggled. I think the quarry was more demanding than I was... I, I, I'd been on a recce, but it was more demanding on the day. It was a tougher day yeah. than I was thinking it might be. And and I think it works that it just becomes Michael and Graham and their mm. friendship, you know, which is a genuine friendship for when they were young men. Yes. really carries you through the rest of the film. So I think we kind of got the best of both worlds in a way with that. Mm. I, I'm yeah. glad enjoyed yeah, and and, and you, so so and with the terror of the autons piece, you made the choice, I think, because you got you got some people who, who sort of turned up slightly unexpectedly, and then you 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 gave that as an extra at the end rather than making it part of your film. Yeah, <laughs> I occasionally get told off for doing this. That we did we did this on looking for Lenny. There was a scene when Toby goes in into the front room and meets Lenny's grandkids, and they're watching the three doctors, and we again on that included that as an extra as a bonus scene rather than a deleted scene. Yes. And we did, on Cookbook, I think we had a, f- a few recipes yes. that we included in extras. In all, in all three cases, I th- I'm sure that Russell, Russell Minton, my executive, would have would have been quite happy to have those scenes in the film. And is always a bit like, why do you want to lose this? And, and for me, it's just, it's a feeling that you have when you watch a cut through and you just know that the shape of it is wrong. You just know that mm. the structure is bent out of shape by something, or maybe it right. brings the, the, the runtime over. Like in, in Looking for Lenny, it was a contrivance thing. It was that that we that when you see the scene on its own, you think, well, that works fine on its own. If you were to actually watch it within the cut, then it would mean that Toby walks into Sadie Main's house, meets her in the kitchen. They look through beautiful photos for for ten minutes, and then on the way out, he realizes 
that his, their family is in the front room the whole time and they're watching the three doctors and Toby sits with them and, they, and you think this is really corny this is really because it was because it was something that yes. we'd set up and, and I'd said I don't yes. want Toby to meet a whole family in one go I want to come in gently with yeah. Sadie and we included the bonus scene really on that partly for me to say sorry to the family and to say I still want the kids to be involved in this and I still want that to be a thing with the one on the direct route it was sort of the same thing it was sort of the same problem it was structurally it felt like by the time Michael and Graham had finished their chat at the radio telescope and they gave us a lovely kind of right where are we off to next and they're off yeah I thought I want to go with them I want to kind of yeah. go off to the next thing I'm I'm g'd up for Aldborn so a it was a structural pacing thing but it was also a believability thing it also felt like you know, when they go to the quarry and they meet the two guys there, you know that you're not going to be let just onto a quarry on your own randomly. Yes. That, that that would feel more contrived if they went in and we kept yeah. the experts, you know, we kept the uh, safety guys behind the camera. That would feel less uh-huh. believable. But on this one with the ladies just dropping in, just, oh, we heard you were down here. It just felt a bit, I just didn't believe it. And, and I don't think we filmed it amazingly well. And I thought, I want to go to Aldborn now. It felt a bit like, I, if I'd structured it better, if I'd had them kind of, if I was cleverer, I would have maybe had them meet and receive Graham and Michael as they arrived at the telescope and then peel off right. to let Michael and Graham explore the telescope and have a heart-to-heart and then go. That yeah. If I'd done it like that, it may well have kept in. But I didn't do it like that because I fell in love with the idea of you arrive and there's a big telescope and oh my god we want to go and have a look and you don't want don't want people in the way of that just go and look at a telescope so you know sometimes you get yourself in a you trap yourself really from the the way that you filmed it but you know i never know with these things because we do get one or two people saying oh i wish they'd put it in and it almost makes me not want to include it as a bonus scene if you know what i mean if we were were being really mean we would just leave it on the cutting room floor like we do with lots and lots of stuff but Indeed. I, I give it forward as a gift to say yes. this is good in itself, but it didn't have a place yes. in our finished film, and I do not regret that. <laughs> yes. you, you, you can have your cake and eat it. That's the but logic. Don't, yeah. But don't come back to me yeah. complaining that there was the cake was in the wrong place or something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everybody, everybody has a right to to, to to slag off whatever they like about yeah. the films, but it's never going to change my mind about why we didn't include it. I I just think I buy lots of movies on physical media and I love watching deleted scenes and when they like release that deleted scene from Avengers Endgame when Tony Stark dies and then everybody takes the knee I can absolutely see why they didn't include it you know it makes perfect sense why they wouldn't include that but you still have people on the YouTube comments saying oh I can't believe this isn't in the film so you can't win you can't win that situation really you just have to say it is what it is we're never going to go back and George Lucas these things you know this is this is frozen in carbonite here you go yeah no. Uh, okay, and and then Devil's Weekend. I suppose somewhat similar to the to the to the piece that you did in Derry for the Green Death, in in the sense that you're you're, you're sort of bringing out the stories of some of the people who who lived in the village then and now. And, again, and and similarly, I guess how that has that's come to mean something for them. I mean, I suppose there are probably more people who who wander through Oldbourne day by day than probably in Derry. But but yeah. It, uh, it was good to see that it, that, it, that it did mean something to those people. Yeah, and you're right. It, it is very much a spiritual successor of the uh, Keeping Up with the Joneses that we did for, for Derry, whereby, you know, we wanted to keep... Katie, we wanted to keep 
our replica Bessie and we, we sub out Stuart Bevan for John Levine. Yeah. I almost like the idea that Katie's kind of driven direct and she's kind of dropped off Stuart and then picked up John. Uh, <laughs> on, on the, but, but again, it's the same logic. It is saying in both cases, we already had made a making of documentary for the DVD. Yeah. In both yeah. cases, we actually hadn't gone on location. They were both studio ones. The Green Death one, I, I thought, is there anything to go back to? Most of it's gone, isn't it? So I, I didn't spend that money to go on location. And with the demons, I think when we did the DVD, I thought I shouldn't go on location because that will repeat what happens in Return to Devil's End in the famous yes. VHS documentary. We don't want to do that. Let's let's give it a different feel. And actually, when I came to look at the Blu-ray, I thought, well, it, I think you still want to go to Aldbourne. I think you. I think just because. And I thought I talked to Toby about Return to Devil's End. Toby Haydock had never seen Return to Devil's End. And I thought, if Toby Haydock hasn't seen it, you know, I think hardcore fans, and Toby's a hardcore fan, but a lot of yeah. fans assume that, oh yeah, of course, you know, you've seen Shakedown or whatever, or, you know, you've seen the Zygon spin-off, so, you know, of course. But actually loads of people haven't, and, and particularly the audience of the Blu-rays, I hope, has a lot of people coming fresh to these things who are maybe more new series fans exploring the old for the first time. So we had to go to Warbourne, but also we couldn't just repeat the same making of stories that we had from the DVD. So yeah. you think, can we make it a, a cultural programme? Can it be about the people involved and the villages involved, which you know had been touched on in Return to Devil's End, but I think we, 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 we do take it that next step further that we're, we're just obsessed with yeah. Oldbourne and what Doctor Who meant to it and what it meant to Doctor Who. And, and, and so really... It was just trying to find the right people who were still still alive, still there, to tell us. And again, it's kids. Again, a lot of a lot of the contributors there are kind of people who were kids riding around in Bessie, who have grown up, and and you kind of rely on the fact that this memory is chiselled into their brains, and that reliving it is is moving, you know, is is emotional. But we had a lovely time. That that one was a bit more silly and fun, I think, in a way that yeah. it was just you know, particularly when you put John and Katie together. Larger than life is probably an understatement, and it was it was uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was fun to chase around with them. And again, all shot in two days, you know, so very very busy shoot in COVID situations. So it was it was good. I'm glad that we got to do it. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I think also, uh, you know, I mean, similarly for so- someone of 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 my age, you when you when you get to see some of that historic footage, it takes you back to to how it was then. You know, the 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 type of cars, the I mean, it shouldn't do. I mean, the quality of the film shouldn't perhaps be be evocative, but somehow it is. I, I guess the, just just the whole thing of it, it, it. I suppose it's genuinely nostalgic. It's, it, it's not. It's not fully nostalgic for me because because I, I wasn't there. But it but it does bring back some essence of what it was like to be alive in in those times. But I think the lovely thing about the demons is you can still you can step into that still. Because, yes, that's true. Because uh, you you know all those kind of Richard Bignall now and then films yes. show you how <laughs> somewhere might have been knocked down and there's something big and concrete in its place. But Oldbourne, yeah. the reason it's still the, probably the most loved Doctor Who location that you can visit is mm. that it it looks the same. You know they've they've done such a beautiful job of of realizing that their village was beautiful and then preserving that. Mm. But uh, I can't think of many places. I mean, you know, the problem is if you go to like Little Hodcombe actually you need to go to like several different villages. Yes. I guess yes. the one from the Android Invasion. What's the one from the Android Invasion called? With the, the memorial and the pub. You could yes, go, you could I, go I've there. Forgotten. You could go there. But but the demons the, the the village is so central to the story. You know, and having the barrows actually there 
an hour's walk <laughs> down the country path is it, it, it's a proper day out in Aldbourne. And I, and I think we wanted to kind of embrace the fact that that is there's a cosy charm. There's this this backlash against the demons that's been going on for about 20 years or so, uh, maybe 30 years. And uh, and I still love it. I I kind of don't quite trust anybody who said who comes out and says the demons are shit because I kind of think you're just showing off now. You're you're, you're reacting to Doctor Who fan opinion of the seventies and eighties, and I I still think it's a really well made piece of Doctor Who. And at any time Doctor Who goes on location, it becomes more interesting for me. And it's got shitloads of location in it, so we we just wanted to kind of reflect that back at it really, and, and have a bit of a a hymn to the village, and you know. It was, Always fun with Katie, always fun with John. So we, we had a good time. Yes. Yeah, I mean, did you know that what she was going to, to do on, on the on the on the hill when, when she sort of, you know, starts reminiscing? Was that No, no I actually didn't. Um on something like Devil's Weekend, again I'll have a I'll have a very rough script. I'll have a sense mm. of you know, I because a film like that, I don't want to mess about with the chronology. I don't want to move mm. something from day one into day two or whatever. So what you see on screen is the order that we film yeah. things in. I don't think yeah, there's yeah. any point when we change the order. So it's all happening. And and so there's a script that says, you know, yeah. we need to drive Bessie down a road. And, and now the camera's in with Katie yeah. and she can say something. don't know what, but something about being back. And when we went up on the Barrows, Katie had said to me, Oh, remind me, when we go to the Barrows, right. there's a story I want to tell. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but just give me a nudge. And actually, I don't think I had to nudge her. I think that she, that she just, uh, in a wonderful way, started telling that story. So John didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what was coming. Right. And the nice thing about it is that you just roll with it. And obviously, we we shot that we, we, we shot that, that twice, you know, so that the, the actual meat of that is all in a single take with me holding a camera right up with them. But then you think it's such a beautiful location that you want to just get out of the way and do a drone version, you know? Because obviously you'd watch it and think, well, where's the cameraman in the drone yeah. shots? Cameraman's disappeared because I've I've scarped off and I'm hiding in a bush somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I think it's a really lovely moment because Katie feels so, you know, she was so genuine. Also to have somebody bring a bit of reality into that story of the demons, which has always been, oh, it's so, so much fun, so much fun. And Katie's always yes. been more reserved about it and not quite yeah. as gushing. So that story makes a bit more sense of how she feels about it. And, yes. and I think it's the perfect place to, to do that. Visually, it feels like a very dreamlike setting. We just happened to be there at Magic Hour, you know, at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, and it was the last thing we filmed on the first day, and you thought this is this is lovely. And again, we we were thinking about I'd I'd brought some big like X Files type torches so that they could have a walk and talk on the way back from the barrow. And when after we'd filmed that scene, we were like, well, no, that's the end of the that has to be the end yeah. of day one, doesn't it? You don't want to then have a little chat about whatever you you you've given us an emotional peak, and now yes. everybody needs to go to sleep until until the next morning, and it's a fade to black. So no, we. I was really happy that Katie. You know, it's nice that she trusted us and that she was invested enough yes. in the film. You know, to think I, I want to give something that hasn't been heard before. That's that's always what what we want, really. Sure. Okay. So so I think I mean if if, if we just if we we briefly look forward then perhaps to the uh, season twenty four box set and the film that you've got coming on that. You give us give us some idea of what we can expect. Yeah, I think I think twenty four will be really fun. I think it will feel a bit like Trial of a Time Lord, where it's a season that has its 
fans uh, and also has its detractors and and maybe is slightly more marmite than some of our boxes but i think i hope that the 24 set will win over a lot of people because there is a shitload on it and there is just the, the, the lovely thing is when you get to these later seasons of the original run we start accessing things from the John Nathan Turner archive and other bits right. and bobs where recording sessions in the studio have just been kept. You know, so suddenly you have hours, you have tens and tens of hours of these of these studio sessions, which I think some people quite like having on in the background as they do other things or they go to sleep with them on. But they're just interesting in a way that on the DVDs we probably edited them and cut them down or just use clips in the in the documentaries. Yes. And uh, with the Blu-rays you can you can expand and use that space. So I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff on it. I was slightly less involved because I was on another job for the BBC at the same time, but I came out of that to do a follow-up in the Doctor's Table series that we do, which I'm very fond of, where we we did one on trial with, with Colin and Nicola and Bonnie and Michael Jason, and this time we went back to the same restaurant for the, about the one week it was open in the middle of the lockdown last December. Yeah, I went to the Ivy Richmond and... Uh, so we got Sophie Aldred and Sylvester McCoy, Bonnie Langford and uh, Clive Morrison uh, from Paradise Towers. And yeah. they're just having uh, basic. I mean, there's so, so much fun to film because we just take five cameras into the room. So everybody's got a close up and then there's a wide shot and we get the champagne going. You get a three course meal. And I put in these these kind of slightly silly questions from a TARDIS cookie jar mm-hmm. for people to pick out. So we're kind of riffing a little bit on Doctor Who magazine's but you know i think you get you do get some really unexpected weird stuff from the people so we learn whether sylvester would resort to cannibalism you know if if he was involved in a plane crash you know so we we take them to kind of different places so i think that'll be great fun i know that i've not seen these yet but i know that richard latto has looked after a feature length retrospective on the season i think it's called uh here's to the future and steve broster has done a making of for Delta, which was always missing one right. from the original DVDs. So I think they've now talked about the date being June twenty first. I think haven't they? I've not. Yes, yes. Well, well I've I've seen that. I, I, um, somebody told me I'm, I haven't seen it sort of published, but yeah, I agree that I think that's right. I never know anything about dates, so I've got no <laughs> idea if that's right or not because I, I deliver the stuff and then I run off in the in the opposite yes. direction and let other people worry about that. I'm sure it'll be out at some point, and I think yes. it'll be lots of fun. Is my hope, and then we'll uh, we're getting busy on what comes beyond. But uh, we shall see. Well, I think I think whatever you've got to offer us, I'm sure we'll we'll all be keen to see it. I mean, you know, you were saying earlier how you know even hardcore fans some have have their own areas. You know, some people were into the novels, I suppose. Some people into the big finish stuff. Some people into those spin-off videos you were mentioning. But I, I think everyone should be into these uh, Blu-rays because. It's you know it, it, it's the show that we love, but so much more. So thanks very much for your involvement in that. Thank you. And thanks no, also, Chris, for, for all the time you spent this morning talking to us. It's been, <laughs> it's been fantastic. That's okay. That's okay. It's been my pleasure, Richard. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. The end. I'll, yes. I'll, t- I'll turn off my. Let me just turn off that. <laughs>